we've been sitting with this red helmet. Oh, my red helmet <laughs> on the table. Oh, my red helmet. On the Why table. do we, tell me about okay. this? What it looks like? A is it a mo- it looks like a motorbike helmet? Look, but no. it, it it is ish. Um, <laughs> Why is it here? It, here it is. My uh, that's my um, <gasps> thing. The nineteen ninety six Celebrity Grand Prix in Melbourne. I um, was a celebrity challenge. I drove. You did not. I so did. <laughs> In a, in a small four, it was a um, four-cylinder car that I got up 6,000 revs and took off and it almost stood on its hind, Amazing. hind wheel. This is a Dementia Podcast and I'm your host, Colm Cunningham. You just heard the voice of Dr. Sally Coburn. Before we also got to hear about Sally's adventures in the Celebrity Grand Prix, she first had to brave the wet weather season in Melbourne. Hi Sally, it's Ailsa and Joel. We are at your gate. I'm in a particularly leafy part of Melbourne. The weather doesn't look like it's going to hold, but we'll be recording indoors. We're met at the gate by Molly a fluffy Shih Tzu Cavalier with a high ponytail, who Sally says saved her life. The lounge room is stuffed full of art objects and I just want to stare at the dressing dummy that looks like it's kitted out in a kind of glorious Scotch Gothic. Sally Coburn is pretty well known here in Melbourne because of her regular radio segment as the fabulously named Dr Feelgood. Time for your appointment. Welcome to Talking Health. I'm Sally Coburn with you for two hours of Talking Health on this lovely, beautiful Saturday night in the middle of a long... From those first few conversations I've had, GPs come up a lot. While in Australia they're not usually the ones providing the diagnosis, as I find out later, they're often the first point of contact. So you're a GP? I am a GP. I've been a GP. Guess what? How long? Well, this is our 40-year graduation year. So, you know, if any of my year are listening, come to the reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. And so I guess the first thing I want to do is I feel like the general listener, they've been in to see their GP, Mm. so they have a little sense of what their GP's day looks like because they've seen that 15 minutes (laughs) of their... But for you, what does a day look like? You know, how many different people do you see? How many different kinds of people do you see? Look, I'm a bit different to most these days because I'm semi-retired. Yeah, sure. So I pace myself and I must admit, and I've got the luxury of only booking a patient every half an hour. So 40 years ago, you just graduated. I did. And at that point, how much training had you done in dementia care? Like, just graduated doctor, what did you know? I mean... Uh, not a lot. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember... Look, I don't recall having intensive training in dementia at the time. Um, I think that's more that gathered along the way in, uh, in the hospitals. But, gee, things have changed so much. There is more education out there. Uh, and I think also uh, advocacy that... Um, we used to sort of in those days think, oh, once you've got a diagnosis of dementia, you know, 
then that's it. But now we mm. know, A, dementia is caused by many different things. It's, a, it's an umbrella term. Mm. And, and B, there is sort of treatment and, and, um, and a lot of stuff that you can do yeah to live independently yeah mm. yeah so I don't know if you can tell me this but I'm going to ask and we'll see how we go mm. do you have a story about someone who who has come into your practice um who you've thought maybe this person has dementia mm. and this is what we need to do next and what did that look like look I think without identifying anyone I yeah. think I've probably had quite a few yeah. um and it's the hardest thing to broach with mm. someone because they are often not aware and they are often railing against it. Um, and so I have to take it softly, softly. I want to obviously, what I say to them is I'd like to do some, maybe some blood tests and, and rule out some vitamin deficiencies, for example, that can, or, and mineral deficiencies that can be the cause of their memory issues. But because I've been maybe their GP for many years, yeah, I do notice these sort of things. And the most important thing as their long-time GP is to retain their confidence mm. and to make sure they feel that they can trust me because the problem when people are telling you that, you know, hey, you've got a problem with your memory and you go, no, I haven't, what are you talking about, um, is that you don't trust them. Yeah. And I think we all have to decide who we trust and say to them, in fact, I'll tell you a story, um, my father um, said to me when he was probably my age, I think, he was a clinician, he was an optometrist, and he said, okay, Sally, what I want you to do is if you think I'm losing it, I want you to tell the other partners in the practice that they need to tell me to retire and you need to tell me then and yeah. I'll trust you. Yeah. He retired early and I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I think it's time for me to retire because I'm not up to it. And we said, yes, you are. So yeah. that's the opposite end of the spectrum when someone feels that uh, they're losing it and they're not. And that's a very important thing, that the person feels that they're part of this. I mean, medicine is teamwork yeah. and uh, very much should be patient-centred. And I have a very um, short trigger for sending someone off to see a, a specialist, a dementia care specialist, because I think they, they also need to see someone who's a specialist in this area. Um, and look, many GPs are, yeah. um, but I also want to know what is the best treatment. And you know, the treatment, what can happen when someone is in this situation is they can get depressed. And the yeah. thing about depression is we have to tease out how much of their issues is due to dementia and how much is maybe due to depression because it can overlay it. And sometimes putting them on an antidepressant lifts the depression and their functioning gets better. So the, the hardest part, though, is when someone's living independently and they may leave the gas on um, and I think this is what children will often, adult children will often worry about their parents, that what if they, something goes wrong? What if yeah. they, um, you know, leave a candle burning? Um, and also, what if they have some other medical problem that they need to manage? Are they taking their pills? And, and there's simple things like um, getting the, the Webster packs. Yeah. And you can put their medication in a Webster pack. Can you or, describe a Webster pack? Yeah, sure. Just in a case Webster, there's yes, people who certainly. Don't know what they are. Uh, and that's a particular brand. But uh, it, what it is is a bubble pack. And yep. it's usually labelled um, each day. Yep. And you just basically, and maybe if it's three times a day, and you just punch out. The tablets your pharmacist can um, can make it happen, yeah. and they deliver it to you. Yeah. I mean, you can get those little boxes, 
and you can do them yourself mm. um, and you can do it with your um, older parent or or spouse or whoever yeah. it is that's losing it. So they feel part of it. Yeah. Um, but medica- medication management can be tricky. Mm. So in terms of that, like early conversation, mm. or the, it's obviously a series of conversations, it's yes, not just a- one conversation. Absolutely series of conversations, yeah. and that's the beauty of general practice. So we don't yeah. have to go, you come in cold, you may bring your, your um, sub, some support person with you who says, I'm worried they've got dementia and you walk out with a diagnosis mm. because we have to do tests, rule, and, and everybody needs to have things ruled out. And classically, dementia and delirium, and I really would like to spend a bit of time just um, yeah. talking about the two of those. Um, dementia is a slow process Delirium can be almost overnight. Yeah. Now, delirium is confusion due to some intervention. It can be often it's an infection, most frequently a urinary tract infection. So obviously the first thing that you do with someone who comes in is you check that they haven't got a urinary tract infection or a chest infection mm. or something else. Now, delirium generally can be treated and it passes because you treat the urinary tract infection and their brain recovers. Yeah. Um, and the trouble that I... I think is probably out there is how many people are in aged care facilities who have delirium, maybe even on top of dementia, making them worse than they are. And I think we have to be very, very careful to always look for any underlying cause. And what it is, is that when they've got an infection, the brain just, uh, it, it just sort of I was going to say short circuits, but that's not really the right term. Mm. Um, the infection or whatever it is underlying, just temporarily shaves off that that cognition that that ability to make decisions that memory and it's such a delight when you get those people back donna lee is someone that i will meet a few months after chatting with sally we're at idc the international dementia conference in sydney to explain some of that background noise i'll talk more about idc soon because some of the people i meet there will help flesh out a lot of this I heard Donna speak and I knew I wanted to know more about her and her experience. We find a quiet spot, relatively speaking, in our little podcast hideaway among a publishing stand. The mic is precariously balanced on a tall stool, but Donna doesn't seem to mind. Yeah, I sing. Oh, that's right, you do. You do. I asked Donna about when she received her diagnosis. Um, I just, I, I tell you the funny story, like how it all started. Um, back then, I was with my, I had a, I had a boyfriend back then, and um, we used to argue and stuff like that. And he goes, "You need to get your head examined." And I said, "Yeah, that's that's typical. Blame the other person." And um, I often say that this also in my um, pro, we do I do talks at libraries with Deanne, um, extending about um, to get help. Yeah, so um, that always gets a laugh. The women always say, "Yeah, that's right," you know. But I said, "No, don't be like that." I'm thankful and I'm grateful, even though sometimes. If we fell out, I'm thankful for that because if it didn't, um, um, I wouldn't have known I have dementia like today. So, so I went, I went, oh, oh, to get my head examined, you go to a psychiatrist, don't you? Yes. <laughs> well, that was going to get your head fixed. So I did. Anyway, the dog GP I went to got, went to this the psychiatrist and she was speaking to a man, she goes, Donna, she said, you don't have a mental issue. Issue. You have a medical, and I thought, oh, 
okay. So I went back to the GP and she's wrote a letter saying I need to see a neurologist. And I don't know, I got confused because my, probably my, I had the dementia. I went back and saw her again. She goes, Donna, what do, are you doing here again? I said, because I need to get help because I've got a mental problem. She says, no, I told you, Don, you have to go back. Go to your GP. I'm going to write. You've got, you've got something seriously wrong with you and you need to face it. So I went there. So my doctor ended up putting me to a neuro, neurosurgeon, neuro, sur, neurologist, the brain doctor. That's it. Yeah. And um, and he um, did a lot of testing and stuff um, and followed, like, with, yeah, we went along doing a lot of testing and stuff like that. I went and saw two because I got, I didn't understand the other guy was looking for dementia. And then the other one was doing dementia too. I just got confused because I had no, I had nobody to take me. I was taking myself. Donna was happy just to keep on talking. And I felt like nothing was off topic in a way because of how she is the topic. We're nearing the end of our talk and the space is about to fill up with attendees as they come out of the main conference room. I asked Donna about what she would want to say to someone who's just had a diagnosis. What would you want to say to someone who's just been diagnosed? What would you What would you want to say to someone who's? Oh, I what would I say is I understand where you are. It's very hard to say. How do you say talk to somebody? You can't say it's not the end. I said it's just it, it's 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 a journey, and um, and it's not. It, I said what the doctors say you've got dementia it's not the end yeah you it's not you can't do it you can do it mm. and to keep on it's really to keep on going at the start of the season Ilsa and I were chatting about who she would be talking to next as you can tell from Donna and countless others those first conversations are very important for me I've had plenty of time to consider this but I was curious what Ilsa's response would be. Just like me, I imagine you do think about, well, what's going to be important to you? You, you know, we, we've all, you've also therefore heard the reality that one in three people in their 80s may well have dementia. So you and I, uh, you know, if we had another person in here, one of us is likely to face this. So it's probably made you reflect on what you would want that to be like. When you go to your GP per- first, has anything jumped out about, what you've heard hasn't happened for people or what would be important to you? Oh, look, so as you were asking the question, I wasn't thinking about the GP first. I was just thinking about my life with dementia, which is I just really want to have um, audiobooks. And I don't know if that would actually work for me once um, once I'm there, but I just want to keep having stories. Like, you know, I'm a story person and I was just thinking even if there's a time when I can't read and I, um, you know, I, I, I'm not really getting to make other decisions about my life, I would really love it if someone would put on some audiobooks so that I can just keep listening to stories and probably the familiar ones. So that's the answer to the question that you didn't quite ask. So then you did ask, when I first go into the GP, what would I want from them? I would just want them not to look too frightened um, Mm -hmm. for me, I think. I would want them to look calm and say, look, we've 
I, what do I want? I don't know. What do I want? I just want them to not look frightened. <laughs> I want them to I, look I know, but I, like I, they think I'm going to be okay. I just want them to look like they think I'm going to be okay. And I think that that's spot on. I totally agree with you. And you've, um, but you've also said another interesting thing is we we're focusing on the GP here, uh, and they are not often, are they not always sorry the person who's going to first pick up on the, the fact that you need help. It can be the police because often somebody mm. will call the police because somebody's out on the street and not looking like they're they're coping, and so the neighbours called. So back to what you've just said. Our police, our ambulance crews, uh, our GPs, we want exactly what you said. We want a calm response. We want to just pay attention to what I'm telling you. So we do actually need to inform a whole lot of professionals on that general awareness about the significant proportion of our citizens. And I'm very emphatic about our citizens with dementia. And the majority of people live at home Normally, we mm. focus on the stories that come out either good or bad from care homes, but actually that's not where the majority of people live. Around 70% of the people with uh, dementia here in Ed, uh, in Scotland are living at home and being supported. Mm. So there's actually all those community supports. So helping them be informed, but at the core of it, you're absolutely right that they are yeah. calm. They look like, I've got this. Yeah, and I think then the other thing would be these are the ways that the people around you can get good information. That would be the other mm-hmm. thing. These are this is the this is how your partner, your children, your family, your friends. These is this is this is where they can get good information. Because I feel like yeah. I'm someone who, like lots of people, I'm so dependent on the people around me already, and I would want them to be coming on the journey with me from the beginning. So you would talk to you, you think that you would talk to your family and friends about your diagnosis? I think I'm that kind of person. I'm mm-hmm. like, guess what? I feel really stressed, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I think that I would. I would I would use my judgment. I do use my judgment about who yeah. I tell what um, mm-hmm. and who knows where my judgment would be at. But I think I'm someone who notices who I trust and who I think is going to listen to me and I would be going to those people. Thanks for listening. The Dementia Podcast is produced by Joel Martin with editing from Sally Grosvenor. Mixing and technical support from Neil Blanco with fact-checking and research by Gina Pirello. Dr. Norelio manages the music team at Sydney University's Conservatorium of Music with compositions supervised by Erin McKellar who's also the composer of the Dementia Podcast theme. The composer for this episode's music is Isabella Lavanuta. Our website is DementiaPodcast.com, which will be getting a new look in the new year. The Dementia Podcast is a production by Hammond Cares Dementia Centre.